It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You're listening to Asia Centric from Bloomberg Intelligence, the podcast that pulls back the curtain on global business so you can invest better across the Pacific Rim. I'm Tom Corbett in Hong Kong. And I'm John Lee. Chinese shopping apps are shaking up online retail, with upstarts Xi'an and Timu emerging as two of this year's hottest success stories. Xi'an has powered past Inditex's Zara and H&M to become the world's largest online fashion retailer. Meanwhile, Timu has exploded into a viral sensation, with an app surpassing 100 million US downloads in just the past year. Their success has come at breakneck speed, powered by a mix of flashy websites, fast fashion, bargain buys, savvy social media strategies, and relentless marketing. Could Timu be the killer app that drives Amazon from dominance? What explains Xi'an's sudden success? And can both Chinese apps keep winning the hearts of Gen Z consumers? Let's click buy now with Catherine Lim, Asia Research Director at Bloomberg Intelligence. And Tatiana Lisitsina, Bloomberg Intelligence e-commerce analyst. Catherine joins us from Singapore. Tatiana is in Milan, Italy. Both of you, welcome. Thank you, Tom. Catherine, Timu made a huge splash in this year's Super Bowl, where it spent almost 14 million US dollars to feature its ad, Shop Like a Billionaire, and sales have gone viral ever since. How has Timu become so successful so quickly? Right, John, it's all about pricing, free shopping, and zero-cost returns. That's what Timu is offering the US shoppers right now, and we did our comparison. They are literally giving very attractive offers to the U.S. shoppers to buy on their platform and no minimum spend required. So that's how, you know, Timu has gone from just 3% of Amazon's AMUs at the beginning of the year right now to 36%. Catherine, Tatiana, if you look at Timu's website, it reads as though it's a Boston-based startup. There's very little mention of the fact that it's part of PDD Holdings and backed by Pinduoduo, the Chinese retailer. Is that an accident or is that part of their strategy? Well, I would say that that's part of their strategy. And really, I think when you actually go into a 
different market such as US itself, it's better to be closer and you know more direct with the customers without emphasizing too much on where your products are coming from because all you want the shoppers to focus on is the low price proposition that you're offering and the value for money um, products that they are able to get when they shop with you. And Catherine, how much cheaper is Timu than, say, you know, com- comparable websites like maybe Amazon? Right. Um, I'll give you a few numbers, John. We just did our meds just two days ago. And if you buy a pair of flip-flops on Amazon, you are going to pay 67% more um, on Amazon versus when you buy for a similar product on Timu. And guess what? Timu is not expecting you to actually join any memberships. You don't have to be an Amazon Prime members to enjoy free deliveries as well as um, you know the uh, returns guarantees. Now, one little um, upset. If you are in urgent need of your flip-flops, then you might still want to consider Amazon because it will just take you five days versus up to 12 days for Timu slippers to be delivered to you. So that's the only downside. You know, both of these retailers have fairly substantial ad budgets. I read that Timu has an annual ad budget of $1.4 billion dollars. Obviously, there's a lot of aggressive marketing. So how do they make money? Well, you know, the $1.4 billion budget that they have allocated to expand their reach to more consumers, we don't know at this point in time how it's being allocated. Part of it will likely go to merchants. Part of it will go to shoppers in the form of coupons, uh, rebates, as well as discounts. But key question is, are they going to spend everything this year? No. It is likely that they will be spending this $1.4 billion in stages. And as far as we can see right now from PDD's number, which is the parent of Timu, it seems like you know the expenses are still fairly under control. And Catherine, I know you mentioned that there's definitely a pricing advantage, but when I go to the Timu site, it just seems a lot more fun than, say, like an Amazon. Like, I went in there and there was this, like, wheel that was spinning around and I won a $100 coupon if I signed up. Like, that's pretty successful, right? Right. Lucky you, John. And, you know, watch out for more of these online games um, that will come through as we go into Black Friday because Black Friday sale will be something that you will see um, Timu, Shin coming in very aggressively to try and secure more spending from the U.S. shoppers in particular into the holiday season. Tatiana Lisitsina in Milan, Sheehan and Timu were relatively unknown until maybe a short time ago, a couple of years ago. What explains their rapid rise and how did they manage to get such traction in global retail so quickly? What are your thoughts? Um, uh, thanks, Tom. Well, I think... Um Shein in particular has three key competitive advantages. Um, one, of course, low prices. Um, they're very competitive on that. And this is helped by the tax advantages from shipping to the end consumer directly from China. The low prices of the goods allow for the parcels to be treated as individual imports to avoid import duties um, as long as the value is below a certain threshold. And in the EU, for example, it's uh, 150 euros. 
So um, this, is, uh, this gives them the, the price advantage. Um, number two, they have a very wide choice. Um, Shein has a very short and efficient supply chain with a data-driven planning, design, and demand forecasting function. That means that uh, they produce styles in small batches um, of maybe a couple of hundred items. Um, they test that demand uh, for a few weeks um, for, for those styles, and then they repeat the popular designs in much larger quantities. And this allows Shein to have a very large choice of items on their website. That's uh, 600 to 700,000 uh, um, stock keeping units versus, for example, only 35,000 at Boohoo. And um, that also allows them to launch um, styles more frequently. So do they compete on price or do they compete on differentiation then? Um, I would say it's a mixture of everything. Price is not the, their only uh, advantage. Differ the differentiating factor is also the, the amount of uh, items that they have and the, um, the frequency that those items uh, get updated. Um, and then a third point is also their strong social media following, particularly among young consumers, the Gen Zs, um, uh, with user engagement on TikTok ahead of any other brand, even Nike. And um, they seem to use also social media, not just uh, for marketing, but also to test what consumers want. So, so yeah. And Tatiana, you know, Shein's rise was accompanied also by the rise of TikTok. And, you know, you saw all these ads like, you know, I guess like a, a Shein haul. Uh, is that what you're talking about, the close relationship between both platforms? Yeah, um, I mean, I think Shein is the most popular brand on TikTok. Um, it has the hashtag Shein uh, has over 75 billion cumulative views versus only 24 billion for Zara uh, and 2 billion on a for ASUS, for example, so that gives you a, an idea. It's less dominant on Instagram. Um, I think uh, it has uh, half the following uh, of Zara, for example. Um, but the key difference is that on Instagram, the content is mainly driven by the brands themselves or by influencers maybe. But on TikTok, most of the engagement is usually driven by the user. So. Um, their following has grown much faster and much more organically. Um, TikTok users are younger. They're similar to Shein customers. Um, content is more video-driven, which I guess is a, sort of a trend now in terms of how people interact with content. And what is po very popular on TikTok are those Shein hauls. Um, so you can imagine like an influencer buying huge amount of clothes and showing them off, uh, reviewing them uh, in videos. Um, and the lower the prices, the bigger those hauls are. And this is driving also a lot of the engagement. Um, I can sh tell you Sheen Hall has, for example, 13 billion uh, cumulative views on TikTok right now versus the Zara Hall um, with only 8 billion. Catherine, how big can Timu become in the US? Right, that's a good question. Do you know, bearing um, bearing unforeseen circumstances whereby, you know, we've actually heard about ongoing lawsuits, discussions about, you know, potential violations of certain policies, etc. Not to go into the details, John, but, you know, assuming that they are able to operate in an open market like any other players in US, um, I do think that, you know, there is potential for them to actually get much bigger than where they are right now, can they double their MAU from where they are right now to the equivalent of what we are seeing from the Amazon shopping platform? Possible. I wouldn't rule that out at all, John. 
And Catherine Lim, John's question raises another interesting point. How afraid should retailers be in the U.S. of Timu and Xi'an? Well, this is something that you know is applicable for a lot of the categories of products that's coming from a big manufacturing hub such as China, whereby you know they do actually have cost advantage. And once you are able to actually bridge the logistics inefficiencies and be in a position to bring goods faster across different continents itself, well, there is absolutely. Um, retailers in U.S. should fear Timu the way I see it because, you know, for consumers particularly, as we all get more conscious about our spending, uncertainties in economies out there, they are definitely the force to be reckoned with into 2024. Catherine, Timu is very different from Xi'an. When I look at, uh, you know, Xi'an, Xi'an doesn't actually, you know, sell anything in China, but just exports, you know, all its goods overseas. In the case of Timu, it's owned by Pinduoduo or PDD, and they were very successful in disrupting the highly competitive Chinese you know, online retail space. Can you talk about some of the strategies of why they were so successful? And they, can they replicate that in the U.S.? Right. So um, I guess before we get there, um, that was something that, John, we had discussed about PDD and Timu. I think the companies would like us to actually keep the two platforms apart. But there are definitely lessons to be learned from the sister platform, whereby social media is something that we have actually talked about. Um, In China, as we all know, social influence is a very big force and um, makes a very big impact to retailers and brands. So being able to actually leverage on the 1.4 billion population and get them to think about your campaigns and get them to shop and browse through your platforms, that is something that social media, and if you actually leverage it right, um, Timu can leverage on that in US as well. And um, you know, as Tatiana had earlier shared, um, TikTok is definitely um, a place to actually look into. Douyin in China, the equivalent of TikTok, um, you know, in China, is also a place that um, PDD has worked with um, some of the other brands and um, manufacturers to actually sell the goods, particularly agricultural goods. So it's actually interesting. You know, you can sell all kinds of things on social media and really it's up to you to actually create that content to bring the shoppers in. Do either of you think that Timu could be the killer app that drives Amazon from dominance? Right, I'll take that first, Tom. I guess, you know, the killer app and whether it is that super app, lots of jargons out there as to what is the next app um, in the market. But to actually get to where Amazon is, I think what P what I would be looking out for for Timu will be, you know, the sustainability of their low price strategy and whether they are constantly able to understand what consumers in the U.S. um, and around the rest of the world, excluding China, wants. Now, social media in China has been a big force in helping PDD back in China understand very quickly what is um, popular and what is the flavor of the month. And if they can actually replicate that in the U.S., I do think that, you know, they have, um, you know, bulk of the success in their pockets already. And Tatiana, for Shein, it's already the largest online fashion retailer, right? So uh, is their growth still super fast or are they sort of slowing down? 
Um, yes, I think uh, it's uh, certainly uh, Shein is not immune uh, to the e well global e-commerce slowdown overall, um, and I think uh, growth is likely to slow further. But let me let me explain. I think um, I believe Shein uh, was valued at about 66 billion US dollars in the latest funding round, um, and that's down a third uh, by a third uh, from the year before. Uh, but that's still about 10 times more than the Zalando. Uh, ASOS and Boohoo combined in Europe. Um, such an eye-popping valuation obviously demands um, aggressive growth targets. Um, sales need to be prioritized over profit, and this is what Shein right now seems to be doing. Um, there was a Financial Times report um, saying that Shein is targeting to grow its gross merchandise volume um, by 40% each year to 2025 to reach 80 billion uh, US dollars. That would outpace eBay. And already this target looks like a stretch. Um, how, if we look at European retailers, all online rivals have um, shifted from burning cash in pursuit of growth to focusing on profit and cash preservation. Um, and the reason for that is that over the past years, there has been a step up in capital spending across the industry, building new warehouses, doing automation projects. Um, so e-commerce became very capital intensive. Um, and as online growth slowed uh, in the last two years, the return on capital has collapsed. And now on top of that, the cost of capital has jumped um, for some retailers two to three times, for others such as THG even nine times uh, since the end of 2020. And this has added the urgency to generate profit. So Shein must also be seeing the rising cost of capital. It seems to have invested a lot in new infrastructure, like warehouses in Poland, manufacturing in Turkey and Brazil. So there is, there has to be a moment, and likely soon, when it has to focus on profit as well. Um, if it was already profitable, it would probably not need to keep raising funds. So yeah, I think uh, Shein won't be able to avoid those same dynamics that are hitting the ASUS boohoo of uh, Europe, um, etc. And Shein and Timo are really the last online retailers uh, that are really still focused on, on growth. Tatiana, you just mentioned that uh, Shein's building up these retail uh, warehouses in Europe. Are they sort of you know, moving away from their traditional sort of you know, made-to-order strategy? Yes, uh, that is one of the uh, sort of key shifts in their business model that we are observing. Um, it's moving exactly away from its uh, China supply chain towards sort of regional hubs uh, in order to also reduce the delivery times, uh, similar to Timo, um, their Delivery times are right now about 8 to 12 maybe business days for standard delivery, depending on the region. It can vary a little bit. Um, so yeah, it has begun manufacturing um, elsewhere in the world, um, open distribution centers, etc. And now this is interesting because the direct from China distribution model gave it a competitive advantage. And now Shein will likely have to pay import duties, uh, which will hurt profitability, and it could also force them to raise prices, which is another key advantage. Um, and also, as um, uh, Catherine mentioned, the um, manufacturing concentration with, I think, over 3,000 suppliers based in China has been one of the, its key advantages. Uh, having multiple warehouses around the world uh, requires more stock planning, means it has to have more inventory at each, um, at each stage. Um, and uh, this is a deviation from the uh, short lead made-to-order model. And it raises the question, to what extent will the added complexity of diversifying and expanding its supply chain result in the loss of productivity and flexibility? 
Tatiana and Catherine, do you think that there's a kind of addictive quality to the online shopping experience at either Shein or Timu? And if yes, what is that precisely? How does that so-called entertainment factor play into their sales growth strategy? The shopping experience that consumers are now looking for goes beyond you know, what we typically look for because really it's an integration of social commerce, live streaming. Um, you know, it's always something that now pops up uh, when you actually browse for a um, product. Um, I don't see much of it on the Timu website yet, but again, you know, keeps your fingers crossed because it's become such a big phenomenon having short videos and live streaming to help better explain and tell the story behind the product itself. So that entertainment content will definitely be the next um, add-on that we will probably see on top of what John has highlighted about, you know, games that we're now seeing as we browse for products on Timu, um, you know, on these shopping websites. What are the, some of the downside risks for both companies? You know, like the US regulators are looking at TikTok and trying to ban that in certain states. Do you think some of the regulators could go after potentially Shein or Timu? I mean, for, uh, for Shein, I would say the key uh, concern is uh, ESG. Um, so uh, I'd say it probably uh, scores uh, worse than many other uh, fashion companies. Um, but they're pretty bad anyway, right, the fashion companies? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Fast fashion is uh, certainly uh, um, not viewed well. However, I think the perception uh, on Sheen is even worse. Um, so we have uh, survey data. Um, according to survey data from WGSN Barometer, Xi'an has more negative buzz, uh, so sort of negative press uh, in the UK compared to other online retailers and also in Germany uh, compared to the Zalando and About You, for example. Um, but the question is, I suppose, um, how much consumers are influenced by that? And there's rising awareness, obviously, among consumers around environmental issues. Um, and there are also studies showing that Gen Z care increasingly about the environment and social conscience. Um, nonetheless, uh, there's also evidence that sustainability is not the main uh, factor influencing shopping decisions. Price uh, seems to be the main motivation, um, especially in the current uh, environment. Um, and we have seen this also with Boohoo. In 2020, they got in the spotlight for modern slavery allegations occurring in one of their factories in the UK. Uh, it was a big scandal, um, and Boohoo has addressed that later on. But the point is that despite the scandal and the initial protests uh, to boycott Boohoo, consumers uh, did not really stop shopping with them. And similar with Shein, it doesn't seem to have lost a lot of this image of being exciting and a value, a good value um, in, in, European, um, in European countries at least. And I, I mean, of course, um, for it, from an investor perspective, uh, and ESG concerns are likely uh, to be much higher. And there has been investigations into Sheen's business practices um, with uh, allegations of garment exploitation, working hours breached, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Sheen has pledged 70 uh, million uh, US dollars towards uh, improving its supply chain conditions over the next five years. Um, so clearly, ESG remains a difficult issue for the fast fashion player to tackle, and ESG scrutiny uh, continues um, to grow especially if it's going to pursue an IPO. 
So Tatiana, if price is driving all these millions of online consumers, online buyers, how does customer loyalty fit into the bigger picture here? Yeah, that's a good uh, point. I think uh, Gen Z are generally um, very open to experiment with other uh, with other brands and to switch uh, to, to switch uh, to other brands uh, if they if something if they don't like something. So if prices uh, increase uh, or perhaps uh, also ESG becomes just a more important. Uh, concern, um, I can definitely see uh, customers switching away from Sheen and growth slowing uh, significantly. So um, I think it's, it's qu- quite a big concern that Gen Z is not necessarily a loyal customer. <laughs> Just talking about Gen Z, look, Catherine, do you think Americans actually know that Timu was actually owned by a Chinese company? Right. I guess, um, John, hopefully I've got your question right. Um, well, I don't think they do because nothing on the website, do you know, nor anything telling that, you know, as you click into getting your purchases, etc., actually tells you that it is a Chinese company. And, you know, notwithstanding, of course, you know, if you actually look at the payments, etc., um, it's very international and global friendly. And among U.S. consumers, there might be some skepticism about doing business with a Chinese company. So that strikes me as perhaps being part of their strategy. Is that how they intend to overcome that skepticism? Yes, I do think that, you know, that is a factor. And, you know, and I'm sure, you know, most of the audience would also agree that at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, putting aside some of the um, geopolitics um, issues that, um, you know, comes up every now and then, consumers ultimately, they are after one thing, and that is, you know, to actually have the best value for money products. And, um, you know, if it is pencils coming from China, that's a fraction or just a quarter of the cost of what you get in US, why not, right? Okay. Now, I'd love to, you know, wrap up with a, you know, a question, a personal question. Tatiana, Catherine, I have to ask, have you recently purchased anything from Shein or Timu? And if so, what was it? Right, John, you know, I'm just going to jump in on that because I'm waiting for Singles Day here in Asia. And, you know, that's going to come through like hopefully next week. I will know what's the bargains that's up for grab here in Asia. So not so much on Timu and Shin yet. And as I've mentioned that I will save it for next month when Black Friday sale comes on. I I will admit that I have um, bought uh, on Shein before, uh, and um, it was uh, like uh, like the typical um, I wouldn't call it a haul, but certainly multiple items, uh, mostly uh, summer dresses. Uh, and I guess I was quite surprised that some of the things were much higher quality than I would have expected. Um, so um, yeah, it was a positive surprise. <laughs> I saw a $15 electronic massage gun on Timu, so I think that's going to be my next uh, purchase. <laughs> All right. We've been talking Xi'an and Timu, China's two online shopping juggernauts with Catherine Lim of Bloomberg Intelligence in Singapore and Tatiana Lisitsina in Milan, Italy. It's been a great discussion, very enlightening, and we thank you both for your insights. Thank you, Tom and John. Thank you. 
I'm Tom Corbett in Hong Kong. And I'm John Lee, and you've been listening to the Asia-Centric Podcast. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.